Peggy Podfiles this terrifying Flora Petty Fright Wig and mail-away coupon for a cracker's hat. Plus all of the sinister swearing and beastly booze you know and fear, with an attention to detail that'll chill your spine. Ask your newsagent to reserve you the Pig Pod file, if you dare. Coming up on tonight's terrifying treaties. He looks like the leader of the Jowers. <laughs> I bet he stinks. Look at him. Oh, he stinks of shit. Yes. So and cabbage. <laughs> the cursed... And tab ends in a pint glass <laughs> that have been left overnight. Why is this filler here? Again, yeah, I tell you what, there's no credit to this. I looked them up online. Either this kid is thick as fuck, or he will use any excuse not to look like a scary pants soft shite in front of everybody. <laughs> People look at me like I've got two fucking heads, because I still use Continental Quilt. <laughs> on purpose to annoy folk. Is this even the same house? Who's in charge here? Exit! Stage left! Alright, hello and welcome to this, the final episode in this magazine-focused mini-series of the Peggy Mount Periodical Hour. I'm Dr Velvet. I am Blackout. And we're here to surreptitiously scan through purported scary sketched offerings whilst trying not to let our Dracula lolly dribble. Yes, hello to you, and thank you for dropping into our offhand, ablonkerated observation of some pamphlets of the past where Britain's best-loved battle-axe is never far from our minds, because here, Peggy's always peeping round the page. If you flip over to PeggyManPod.com, info for the particular issue we're discussing is in the show notes, you can find us on the socials, get in touch to say hello, or ask us why we think we're too good for 2000 AD. Before we ask to go into the ghost house, and then don't go in the ghost house, and then complain about not going into the ghost house, Dr Velvet, I've got to ask, what are you drinking? It's the last show of the series. Oh, God. He's not. He's not. Hang on. There you go. Someone's someone's knocking to be out. Yes, it's our old friend Remy Martin. I'm on the brandy. (laughs) God, here we go. Here we go. Yourself? Uh, I've got a bottle of... The Millers by the Canterbury Ales Brewery in Kent. I've been to Canterbury. That's what that is. Isn't it? Yeah, the Millers, the Millers, the Millers tale. Yes, this sounds this sounds incredibly classy, humorous, unforgettable, but always leaves a bad taste in your mouth. What? what am I right? <laughs> <laughs> You're not, oddly enough. It's a bitter. It's only four point two percent, but it's nice. There'll be more of these. I'll tell you. There you go. Okay, good, good. Like to hear it. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, to our final offering, and not a publication that should be left to late-night reading by torchlight under the duvet. For when you switch out the light, what's waiting there might just make you scream. The Scream was a weekly anthology horror comic published by IPC magazines and aimed at the pre-teen adventure market, which ran from 1984 to 1984, over 15 issues. 
Curated and edited by the shrouded figure of Ghastly McNasty, Scream presents a series of ongoing stories of the supernatural, positioning itself as a young boy's rebooting of Fleetwood's legendary Misty comic. Alas, it was not destined to run anywhere near as long. Several tales continued in IPC's Eagle after the final Scream, and the rights were later bought by Rebellion Publishing in 2016, who reprinted several collected strips and even produced a handful of brand new issues as specials. But we have creaked open the very first issue, covered as the 24th of March 1984, with a garishly illustrated colour cover promising vampires, reapers, computers and cats, and a free set of plastic fangs, so you can terrify strangers as a diminutive Dracula, or just with the potential threat of hepatitis C. So, the only question... Sorry. Mm. Sorry, I've got me free fangs in. You know Ken was wearing those earlier, right? Anyway, yes. Obvious question. Back in the day, yeah. were you a reader? I was. I was very much a reader of this. I was a big fan. I've got a funny feeling that I didn't get all of the issues. Right. But I did class myself as someone who wanted to read it. Don't know why that never quite coalesced, but there we go. Now, it will come as no surprise to you and to all of our dear, dear listeners to learn that this was another one of those things that scared me shitless as a kid. And yet, don't want to get uh-huh. ahead, but looking through this now, I can't work out which pages did that. To be right. to be to be clear, Doomlord still puts the willies up us, but Scream just seems like a shitload of brooding fun. <laughs> yeah, okay, I get that. Um, I didn't read this back in the day, which is massively surprising because this was absolutely my bag. This is practically aimed at you. This has practically got your name on the front cover. I know, I know. You'd, I you'd have the, it was your your news agent be knocking on the door. Is he ill? Yeah, yeah, you know. Um, at this stage, 1984, I was reading Battle Action Force and WoW comic, okay. uh, which okay. then merged with Whoopi, I remember. Right. Um, I, I loved WoW. Barney's Badgers was a was a particular favourite. Uh, also creepy comics. Davy Doom and his monstrous mates. Uh, anyway, never got this. I think it's because I just didn't see it in the newsagent. I wasn't aware right, okay. of its existence. Right, yeah. If I'd seen this, I'd have been all over this. Yep, fair. I mean, look at the cover. If that's not enough to tempt you in, I don't know what is. <laughs> Precisely this. It's March, it's 1984, I'm 10 years old, and this fucker is getting my attention. And the newsagent is getting my 22 pence. Yes, Yes, I mean, the fangs are low, but... Now, if you haven't already, you could... listener, peggymountpod.com, click on the link, you can read this. We expect you to have done your homework. Um, yes, download the PDF, off you go. Much like the Hamlin Book of Horror, it's the red-eyed Dracula in the front, isn't it? It very much is, yeah, without the George Hamilton tan. Yeah, well, yes, yes. It, it's that, to be fair, is kind of Eddie Munster when he's just been grounded. Um <laughs> You know, well, the hair but, is uh, certainly. But, it, yeah. but um, no, it's all good. You got you got death or a version of death mm-hmm. with his scythe. Um, looking a little perplexed there. If a skull can look perplexed, no, no, yes, yes. Um, we are warned that this is not for the nervous. That's right. That's applying to you. You realise this at eleven years or ten years old. You were. Yeah. I was eleven when this came out. But yeah, this you, the colours, the layouts, the open challenge. For you, as a reader, to be bold enough to go into the damn thing. And a free gift. This was created in a secret government lab to appeal to me and to you. Yes. Yes, it really was. That cat is making my teeth itch as well. That was ferocious. (laughs) 
You know what I like most about Scream as a boys comic? What? There's no fucking sport in it. There's not a one. <laughs> this was made by geeky shootings for younger versions of themselves. Absolutely. Top right hand corner. Right. 24th of March, 1984. Every Monday. Yes. I've looked into this. 24th of March, 1984 is a Saturday. What the fuck's going on there? They brought this out on a Saturday for a laugh. Well, I'm not laughing. Okay. Monday <laughs> it doesn't, it doesn't matter. Let's go in. First page we turn over. From the depths. And we get a little bit of an editorial from Ghastly McNasty. We do. I'm 50-50 with that name. Yeah, I know what you mean. It, it's not particularly... You know, some of it has a nice ring to it, but it sounds a bit Hanna-Barbera to me. Yes, yes. What? Why the muck? Are you meant to read his bits with a Scottish accent? You know what I mean? Hmm. Uh, I'm buying Scream to be scared, so my mind is things should be kept in that tone. Ghastly McNasley lightens the tone. Well, his name does. If you look at like his actual image... With his pointy hood and he's got like his uh, his shoulder, his extra shoulder bits that come off off of his cape. They're a bit Venger from Dungeons and Dragons, don't you think? I don't mind that. Don't mind that at all. He he looks fine. It's just the name. We'll work on that. That's fine. He looks like the leader of the Jowers. <laughs> I bet he stinks. Look at him. Oh, he stinks of shit. Yes. So and cabbage. <laughs> the cursed... and tab ends in a pint glass <laughs> that have been left overnight. He looks like he's been sleeping by the bins outside the buffs. Yeah, he does. Right. So we've got the curse of the first issue here. Um, other than setting out the stall with a short editorial, there's little to do other than ask readers to send in letters, pictures, photos of family members they'd like to see transformed into a monster. Um, and they offer £50 for if you can correctly draw Ghastly McNasty's face. That's, yeah. That, that seems all right. And it is. Not least because it's completely up to the editorial team if they ever want to let anyone win it. This triggered me... Because CITV once ran a competition right, to design what you thought uh, Dr. Claw looked like from Inspector Gadget. Ah, OK. I thought I was clever as fuck when I literally drew a, a picture of Inspector Gadget, but blue with circuits and, yeah. Is that because you've back. been watching the He-Man, where they've got the blue He-Man? Maybe. And they're just like, oh, look, there's He-Man. Why is he blue? I don't know. I didn't notice him being blue. Hey, He-Man. <laughs> I, I thought it would be a nice um, a nice twist. Right. Uh, clearly, they burnt my entry. Yes, yes. So this this triggered that. <laughs> yeah. But no, not a bad competition. You know, it, it, it incites your imagination. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's all right. I do like the mythology they're creating around uh, King's Reach Tower in Southwark, where Same. they publish it from. Same, now, same. It, we it, should try that. It, well, yes. It's got in their little write-up. They say that it's 29 floors high and that they edited yeah. it 29 floors down. But the Wikipedia page on it, these days it's called the South Bank Tower, says it was built with 30 floors. And then further down, the same Wikipedia page, it says 31 floors. So I guess nobody fucking knows is the answer. Or it might have some relevance to a story we're going to talk about later. Well. Who knows? So they're offering some publicity to the London Dungeon. Yeah. And uh, they've got a little thing whereby they say, oh, who would you like to see in the dungeon? Send us your requests, blah, blah, blah. And an example of which, there's a little cartoon of what is supposed to be Bruce Forsyth. That's Terry Thomas, mind. <laughs> now, if it was Terry Thomas, you'd see his teeth. If the mouth is closed, it's Forsyth. Oh, is that, that how you tell it? That is the law. Okay, right. And then we've got um, something called Dracula Spectacular, uh, where pff, you've got a bored artist 
who will take a black and white image and demonise it. This, this is a tie-in thing. Because they say this is, apparently it's a makeup and disguise set. From I'm not I'm not going to mention the toy company that does it. They haven't sent us one. Um, but Dracula Spectacular is their actual name, and they've got a logo. The logo's nice. The, the logo is nice, actually. Yeah, I do like that. So again, it's like you know, if you send in a picture of a, a friend, a teacher, a member of the family, it says, or even yourself, include a clear black and white photo that I can go to work I- on, and they'll basically they'll turn you into a monster slash vampire. You know. Who's getting black and white photos in 1984? Well, yeah, it's one, it's odd that they're just like a black and white photo. And it's like, well, if I send you in a colour one, how about you photocopy it? Do that. Yeah. Um, uh-huh. We should only be thankful that they're not asking you to photograph the teacher that you fancy the most. Fact. All right, let's 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 go over the page. Right. And this is our first story. This is the Dracula file. <laughs> Yeah, this is a five-page story. Uh, this is written by Jerry Finley Deer. He did Sergeant Streetwise in Eagle that we covered. Uh, and the art here is by Eric Bradbury, who drew Doomlord once it switched to the comic format after the photo strip. This is the story of Dracula, actual Dracula, not just a vampire, uh, as he makes his way from Romania through East and then West Germany, posing as a defector so he can come to Britain. Yeah. Which is, you know, you've, you've got a bunch of... Ten-year-old English kids that you want to scare the shit out of. Here comes Dracula. Yeah, it's set in 1984. It's set like at the time you're reading this. This isn't a historical thing. Yeah, it boom. There we go. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, he exists. He's still living. Yep. And he's coming for you. Yeah. And he's coming for you in the most convoluted way possible. He can't be the brightest bat in the belfry, mine, can he? I don't mind it. <laughs> I know what you mean. It's not particularly practical. He gets shot like nine times. It uses like real-world geopolitics to create its urgency. Uh, plus it does. The sheer number of machine guns in this first episode will appeal to readers of Commando and Warlord and all of that lot. That's why that's there. That's fine. So, you know, we're, we're already getting people over the fence from other comics. We're not just going, oh, look, creepy Dracula. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, this is this could be happening. Outside the windows, you're reading this at night under the yes. Under I would say under the duvet. It wasn't a duvet in those days. It was a continental quilt. It was, wasn't it? Yeah. People look at me like I've got two fucking heads because I still use continental <laughs> quilt <laughs> on purpose to annoy folk. <sighs> I have to say the artwork here is gritty and striking. Yeah, I like it, especially the close-ups of the Count himself, there's real potential here. The artwork is cracking. This is the thing, again, much like Hamlin Book of Horror, when we do see Dracula in close-up, he has this look of absolute screech and terror on his own face. So, like, this isn't that smooth, suave, Lord of the Manor vampire. He's an absolute fucking beast. Oh, he's a demon. Yes. Absolute demon. (laughs) At last, at last, Dracula is less Hollywood and more something to be actually frightened of. Yes. This um, story just hairs along at a cracking pace. I love it. There's There are rarely more than two panels that take place in any one location. A lot of the time yeah. it's just one. One picture, boom, we're moving on. It's covering so much in five pages. It's kind of amazing. Yeah, it is, to be honest. Um, there's uh, there's story writing skill there. Yeah. It's good. 
there's effort being put in here. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. There, re- there really is. You're right, though. He could just turn it into a bat and fly it to England. Absolutely this. All right. Let's, uh, let's turn over, because let me tell you something. I would like to know mm-hmm. the terrifying secret of the locked room. 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 So next up, we've got Monster. This is four pages. Uh, this is written by Alan Moore, who, of course, well, A, we know him from being Alan Moore. B, we know him from writing the Pandora effect in the Star Wars Summer Special. Uh, and the art is by a chap called Heinzel, who also worked on the Doom Lord comic strip once it moved over to that. This is basically a story of grief, hidden secrets, and domestic abuse. Thanks, Alan Moore! Uh, <laughs> this is about 12-year-old Kenneth Corman, um, now, at the point where we open the story, he's living alone with his dad after his mum has gone mad and died. We open with Kenneth digging a grave and find out in the next panel that it's for the body of his dad. <laughs> so, all of this acts as a framing device as we get flashbacks of their difficult relationship, the beatings that his dad would inflict, and this seed planted that there's something in the locked room at the top of the house. <laughs> I mean, all right. One metre deep, one miserable metre that had taken him almost a day of sweating and gasping and wincing at the pain in his arms. One metre, was that enough? He's took all day, and he's only gone down a metre. <laughs> Lazy. Should it be deeper? <laughs> Kenneth Corman wasn't sure he was only twelve. He'd never buried anyone before. You've got to fucking love Alamo. <laughs> I'm sorry, but that is one of the most intriguing starts to a story. Well, I hope you're ready for it to stay that way. Spoilers. There's a flash in the top left-hand corner. What was the terrifying secret of the locked room? Four pages, you don't find out. Nope, you do not. <laughs> no, I... I'm going to keep they, you on the they, edge they of want the net here. They want you coming back for issue two. I'll tell you now, it's not all going to be finished by issue two. There we have it. <laughs> You'd be lucky if it's finished by issue 15, because they've got the can. But anyway, um, without rushing too far ahead, I really enjoyed this. It is good, isn't it? Good old, oh. good old Alan. He goes straight to the darkest places first, and then just digs around there until things quickly get worse. Do you know what's beautiful about this? It's perfectly toned for the audience, I think. Mm-hmm. What would you say is the demographic of this magazine? The target demographic? Um, I would say 9 to 12-year-olds. Not just because I was 10 at the time I was reading it, but... Yeah, I would have said 8 to 12-year-olds, but that's okay. fine. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's not for... It's not really for the kids that are... <laughs> the kids that are reading Wow and Whoopi. <laughs> if you'll pardon my... Yeah. Yes. <clears throat> you can say... This, if you start reading this, you are moving up from those comics. Yeah, yeah. I think. Definitely. You know, again, you don't get fucking Alan Murren to make your kids laugh. Um <laughs> So we'll get into this later. There was a definite worry that people were going to be writing in complaints about this. Yes, there's such a dark tone to this. It's not dumbed down in any way either. No, it's They're not. not holding back here. They don't pull any punches. This is the second story in the comic. It's the first one to feature a young lad as the protagonist. Um, and yeah, we're going to the second page and basically he's getting belted by his old man. Yes, with a belt. Yes. Literally a belt. Literally. At the bottom of the stairs... Stop crying and listen, you little fool. That's his dad. Yeah. 
What have we told you about the room ever since you could walk? We've told you it's off limits. Is that too much to ask? He's quite dramatic, isn't he, for a, you know, for a fat middle-aged man? Quite theatrical. Yes. Kenneth has his revenge. I think, because, again, second page of the story, you see him, like, taking the belt out of his trousers. Would it have ruined the tone if in the next frame he lifts the belt up behind his head and then his trousers fall down? You're going back to wow and whoopee now. Right, OK. If anything, it's more that I've read other animal stuff as well. So. Right, yeah. He doesn't murder his dad. His dad dies. That's the... Well, yeah. That's, yeah, the, that's yeah. the thing, you see. He's got to find out. He, he just hears some shouting, hears some voices, goes out, his dad's dead. So he's like, well, obviously, I now have to bury him. I'm assuming they don't have a phone in the house, so we couldn't phone either an undertaker, ambulance, police, none of that. He's just like, no, dig a hole. We've got, I've got I've no phone, but I've got a shovel. I mean, look at the house, and the garden's massive. Yeah. Is he doing this out the back? Well, that looks like the front door to me. That's the front of the house, because they've got the beautiful balcony above. Yeah, oh, I'm, wondering if, see, I'm wondering if the balcony goes all the way around. We don't know how big the garden is. You know, you can see the house. There might be another good sort of three, 400 metres before you get to before you get to the street. I don't know. It's true, it's true. But you're right, it does um, look like the front door, doesn't it? Good Lord. It's the front, front door, and he's buried in the front... Pro- probably next to the gate. Well well played, Kenneth. Well played. Yeah. Story-wise, there's a nice build-up into episode two. Because episode, episode two is the doorway to terror. It is, yes. Crack and read, that story. Crack and read. <laughs> I, I loved that. I did like that. Yeah. There I was, all settled. I was in the garden watching him bury the body of his father. Yes. Now, now I'm going to be whisked to the 13th floor. Yes, this is one of their more well-known stories. This opening chapter is four pages long. This is written by Ian Holland. Ian Holland was the pen name of Alan Grant and John Wagner. Very famous uh, comics writers. Alan Grant, of course, wrote Doom Lord which we've already covered. And the art is by Jose Ortiz, who drew the Tower King in Eagle. Lot, a lot of names, as you've worked out, coming back from what we've already done here. This is nice. <laughs> so, yeah, this is the strip about a cutting-edge tower block that was managed by a computer named Max, and the secret 13th floor where he meets out this supernatural vigilante justice to ne'er-do-wells. Basically, if the computer decides it doesn't like you, there's going to be hell on. Mind. That building superintendent Max a computer seems pretty sound to me. I might start running Mount Peg towers like that. Anyone who comes in with an attitude can get an absolute fuck. Get in. I think it's quite prophetic, this. For 1984, yeah. Yeah? Yeah. Ironically, in 1984. Well, that as well, but yeah. Yeah. Max's computer face reminds me of Herbie from the new Fantastic Four. And he was a fucking idiot. <laughs> But the thing about Max the computer is, on a sort of surface level, he's always been friendly and nice. If he, you know, if you're if you're a resident of the building, he will be nice yeah, to you. Yeah. He will just lure in and kill anyone who looks at you the wrong way. So he's clearly like a smiling psychopath. Yes, yes, actually, it's worth <laughs> hell, isn't it? <laughs> Kinda, yeah. So again, we're like go to the darkest places first here. We've got a family, the Hendersons. They move into the building, which is basically a young widowed mother and a ten year old Billy. They're in the hole for 95 quid to a local debt collector who's basically a leprous scowl in a sports jacket. Yep. Yeah, that's it. in terms of story, that's it. It's like he comes belting on the door. Oh, you owe me 95 quid. 
And the robot caretaker's like, would you like me to kill him for you? And they go, well, I'm not sure. Right, I'm doing it. Yes. If I saw that face on my video screen, I would turn myself inside out and crawl into a bag of salt. That's <laughs> terrifying, that. <laughs> yeah, and Max is like, if this man distresses you, I can send him away. There we go. Uh-huh. He bothers them for the money. Mm-hmm. Incidentally, though, they owe money. Yeah. They are in debt to him. Legally, this is fine. Yeah. I mean, the harassment isn't. Yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But he's going round, you know, because a lot of people will try it on. He doesn't know that they're not trying it on. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah, don't so, get me wrong. They owe him money. Well, she owes him money. The kid doesn't. She owes him money and she's just moved house. Which doesn't yeah. look great on paper, does it? No. He's, he's got the address, so he's followed them, and you're like, well, you know, fair enough. He doesn't have to be an arsehole about it, but you know what? Let him try. Well, this is it. And, you know, like dark as how, I'm playing devil's advocate here. Uh-huh. The landlord wants his money, but Max, the computer, steps in. He does. Which is nice. You can see why, but his solution... I mean, we should have said, we should have said at the start, right? It's a tower block, about 20 odd floors or whatever. And the kid at the start, he goes, how come there's no number, no number 13 on the, on the lift for the buttons? Yeah, and Max yeah, goes, yeah. well, a lot of people think that's unlucky. Therefore, we go straight from 12 to 14. And the kid doesn't go, so you do have a 13th floor. You just called it something. You just knocked all the other numbers around. There is literally a 13th floor, isn't there, Max? Mm. Max is just like, no, shut up. I have, to, I have got one, but shut up. And apparently yeah. it's yeah. like down in the basement or something. I don't know. I don't know how that works. Yeah. Max decides to take matters into his own hands. He gets in the lift to go out, mm-hmm. and he's introduced to the 13th floor. That's he's right. He's taken there by Max. Yeah, yeah, when he steps out, there is a sign saying 13th floor, and he puts his there hand is. on it, and he's like, 13th floor? But this building ain't got a 13th floor. And you're like, you're very observant. Unfortunately for you, Mr. Kemp, it has. I don't know why I think all skeletons sound like that. That one does. That grim, that's the Grim Reaper off the, video, off the front cover. Yeah. He's got like a, he's got a nice sort of wrap around snood thing. Yeah, yes, it, it's nice. Beautiful. He, he'd be kept warm. Yes, he will. Yes, and then he greets him with the, with the phrase, "Welcome to your death." This is what I like, right? It, Pardon, <laughs> mind. This ends with Mister Kemp, the debt collector, being shown into the thirteenth floor by the computer, mm. and he meets the Grim Reaper, who says, "As you so duly noted, welcome to your death." And the only thing they could think to put in the coming next week panel is the words. <laughs> Mr. Kemp's computer death. <laughs> it doesn't work. I love it. <laughs> oh. That's just been penciled in there. And then whoever it is, it's like actually setting the text is gone. That's what it says. That's yeah, I'm I'm putting that in. Mr. Kemp's yeah. computer death. If it hadn't have been nineteen eighty four, you could have got away with putting four oh four file not found or something like that. But not not that. You know. That's yeah, 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 yeah. Good lord. Bless them. Um Right, I don't know about you, but I'm in the mood for some colour print. Yes. And it's just as well I am, because let's turn the page and we get Tales from the Grave. Yes, Tales from the Grave, colon, The Undertaker. Three pages, quite short. This is written by Tom Tully, who wrote Thunderbolt and Smokey in The Eagle. Uh, art is by Jim Watson, who did Battle Tornado 2000 AD, that sort of thing. So again, big regular artist at IPC Towers. This is one of their kind of... Well, it's framed like an anthology series, but it's not a one-off. 
Anyway, this is the story of an undertaker from the olden days who was a bit of a shit. Uh, the gravedigger that is telling us the story calls himself the leper, introduces himself, sets it all up, and he's just like, what kind of, what kind of, you know what, yeah, quick diversion, what kind of accent do you think the leper's got? He sort of, he sort of reads like a pirate, doesn't he? Yes, actually, yeah. They calls me the leper. Yeah. Yeah, I get that. Affectionately known as the leper. That's beautiful. You know. It's really nice. Or as the more cynical of us would call him, the crypt keeper. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he's telling this story about um about this old guy who is, like I said, an undertaker. Bit of a shit. If people weren't quite dead, he would kill them, then he'd bury them. Like, that seems like a lot of work. Just Oh, you mean the undertaker character who essentially is like some kind of hipster Abraham Lincoln. See, again, right, this is the thing, right? The colour palette makes it look like the Old West when we go to him, don't we? Doesn't it? And some of the, the clothes they're wearing feels kind of like formal Old West wear. Yep. Rather than Victorian. But at one point, he does mention the workhouse, which sort of suggests Dickensian London. Absolutely. The, the way the story belts along, in terms of the narrative, it's one part reanimator, one part in the vault, which are both stories from H.P. Lovecraft, which again would sort of suggest America, early 20th yeah. century. I don't know. I don't know. Aside, The Undertaker is set in London. Kensington, Whitehall and Embankment all get specifically mentioned in the second issue. And so does actual London. So don't write in. Because it's set in London. We know this. Some of us do anyway. But then again, you know, like we said, the leper speaks like a Cornish pirate. So it's probably set in England. It's very, yeah, you know, you can draw your own lines in here, I think. No, actually, do write in. PeggyMountPod at gmail.com and mark your letters with the subject line I realise The Undertaker is set in London but Blackout wouldn't know that because he's only read the first chapter and then feels he knows enough to talk about this on a podcast. Blackout is wrong, as usual. Hashtag London. Hashtag wrong. I do like the artwork we get. Because it's the centre spread, we get two of its three pages in colour, which is sort of, you know, what they would be uh, doing back in those days. Colour pages very much like it you save your best stuff for that um uh-huh. it's very loose and sketchy by this point but i do think the color helps it the story rattles along essentially what we've got here the whole feel of it is scrooge meets in loving memory that's a better mashup than the one i had yeah yeah we'll do that yeah 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 <laughs> so we're rattling along and rattling along the undertaker's reputation as being somebody who has less integrity than your average undertaker uh, word has spread, and it's approached by a lady who, if this was adapted for television, um, this lady would be played by Rowan Atkinson. It does look that that's, way, doesn't it? That's Emily Carlyle, <laughs> is Rowan Atkinson. With a, a hat with some manner of... Is that fruit on the top of it? I think not, it's... Not uh, quite uh, Carmen Miranda, but, you know. Uh, anyway, she's nasty, and she would like The Undertaker uh, to kill someone on her behalf. Mr. Sleeth, my name is Emily Carlyle. May I crave a moment of your time? Of course, my dear lady. No doubt your family has suffered a sad bereavement. Dot, dot, dot. Not yet. But I am afraid Uncle Henry, my guardian, suffers from an incurable ailment of the heart. There is little doubt that a sudden shock might prove fatal. In which case, I would become very rich and very generous to the person who helps me to inherit my uncle's fortune. Gracious, ma'am, what on earth are you suggesting? Given that I'm a man who digs graves for a living rather than someone with a paper bag, which is what you want. 
I mean, can, uh, <laughs> sorry. I mean, she could do that, couldn't she? He was literally just giving him a shock to kill him. You're like, what, why do you need an undertaker to do that? Just yeah, you know, yeah. Pop some balloons, man. She offers him five hundred pounds. She does. Whenever this is set, you could buy a town for that. Or the badge that was given away with the Eagle Issue 2 comic. We'll get to that, but yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The next week's episode is called The Undertaker of Murder, but this last panel, there's someone lurking behind the gravestone who is listening to their every word. Oh, where's this going to go? Well, you know who that is. That's, uh, that's Christopher Beanie. Yes, it is. Mint. Let's flick over, because you know what I'm in the mood for? Mm-hmm. I'm in the mood for a ghastly tale. A ghastly tale indeed. A one-page, one-shot. There are no credits for the script or the artwork on this one. So that's short. Shock! <laughs> this is, uh, yeah, this is a one-page. It's set in a carnival, present day, as in 1984. You've got three young lads being terrified by, quotes, the face of horror, unquote, which is a slavering beast held behind bars. We see what the monster does, then we go to peek behind the scenes in the showmaster's caravan. Yeah. I mean, it is, it is what it is, isn't it? You think there's a monster at the funfair, and then it turns out there's a monster at the funfair. OK, mate. Thing is, the average film producer will churn 90 minutes out of this. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Again, it'll have a fucking Blumhouse label at the start of it, yeah. Don't get me yeah. wrong, the artwork for this is fantastic. Very strong, lots of depth. Uh-huh, uh-huh. I kind of wish it had been put to better use, but yeah, there we yeah. go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh, mine. There's, um, there's, there's a sign behind the carnival barker in the first panel, and it says, Entrance 30p. And we yeah. see three kids going in, right? Later, this chap, he's there in his caravan, pile of notes in front of him, and coins that, and he's chortling about how much money they've made. Yeah. I don't know how many showings they do in a day, but he's made 90 pence off the last one. I know, right? In 1984, that's not enough to buy you four cans of Kestrel. And you'd know. I've checked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And as Gasly McNasty says at the beginning of the tale, a short story to make you shiver. I bet it made the artists and the writers shiver when we've got another page to fill. <laughs> Seriously, why have they not put credits on for this? Whatever, whatever. Read it. <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you what, we'll turn the next page and then we'll be turning back. Yeah. yeah. Well, we'll turn the next page and because um, I am really in the mood... For an Adams Family stroke Munsters rip-off. Let's go for it. So this is Fiends and Neighbours. Two pages. Left, right, bosh. It's written by Les Lilly, who used to do Jane in the Daily Mirror, and the art is by Graham Allen, who worked on Buster and Wizard and Chips. So, yeah, something to lighten the proceedings here. It's a two-page comedy piece with a suburban couple watching their new neighbours moving in. You've got the nosy wife character, who isn't given a name. Um, she manufactures an excuse to go around, introduce herself, have a good old neb. Comedy arises when it turns out the new inhabitants are, yes, a very weak knockoff of the monsters in the Adams family. So exactly the same jokes about what people consider normal are trotted out on absolute autopilot. That's all that can be said. Why is this filler here? Again, yeah, I tell you what, there's no credits for this. I looked them up online. I track down who drew the Les Lilly, Graham Allen, sort it out. This is, to be fair, a, uh-huh. a reprint from IPC's core comic. This wasn't written for screen. I had a feeling. Hence the seismic shift in tone. 
Yes. <laughs> I don't mind this in the sense that they have to have some diversity in terms of visuals and in terms of storytelling. It's just a little light relief. I get I get the feeling that it's more as a kind of placatory gesture to concerned parents and teachers. Just as a kind of, oh, well, look, you know, t- 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 turn to page 20. It- it's light. There's jokes on that. I-, I wouldn't mind it as much in its own comic. Here, it's just completely out of place. No. No, I disagree. I- I- for all, it got on my nerves, uh, the fact that it was such a blatant rip-off in terms of what goes on in the story. I don't mind that the premise is a rip-off. But, I mean, this is this is the first episode of The Adams Family, this I was very, very annoyed, actually, that the neighbour character found Cyril the octopus terrifying. So I was starting at that. Um, <laughs> I'm offended. But, um, no, I mean, it's a little shift and a little light relief, and I didn't mind so much. I'd, I'll get over that pretty quickly. Anyway, there's more frightful fun next issue. Yeah, I can't wait. We're going to flick over, and you know what we're going to do? We're going to appear at the Library of Death, where we're going to find out what's lurking at Death's Door. This is more like it. Back into the darkness. Five pages. <laughs> this uh, At Death's Door is written by Barry Tomlinson. He did Return of the Mekon in Eagle. Uh, and the art is by Cam Kennedy, who did a lot of work on 2000 AD. And he also drew the Star Wars Dark Empire strip in 1991. We will get on to that. So, Library of Death, at Death's Door, hashtag the death. This is another one-off piece. we got a story about a young boy at a fairground with his folks. He wants to go into the ghost house. His parents are less keen. Uh, a dream he has that night dwells on what he thought might be in there, combined with his growing parental dissociation, and results in a terrifying nightmare which threatens to upend his entire world. He starts off this little kid. Let's go in the ghost house, and the parents say, "Oh no, you, 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 you go. We're too old for that. Uh-huh. You go in." And then he's like, ah, "You never want me to enjoy myself. I'll tell you what. Hang fire, stroppy knickers. They didn't say you couldn't go in. This I've got exactly this. Yeah, straight. The, the your words. Face. <laughs> the words are literally. Hey, mum, dad, let's go in the ghost house. It looks great. And yes, yeah, was we're too old for that. His mum says, "You go in." Across the right. next three panels. Three? He's complaining Stop. about not being allowed to go in the ghost house, despite his mother clearly using the exact words, you go in. Either this kid is thick as fuck, or he will use any excuse not to look like a scary pants soft shite in front of everybody. <laughs> the latter, I'm telling you now. That middle <laughs> panel, where he says, you're a couple of spoil sports, doesn't it look like the three of them are fucking strutting? Yes, I can hear Saturday Night Fever playing there. And then the panel to the right, that evening, he's absolutely stunned. He is. He's, lying in that bed. He's lying up in bed, f- foaming at the mouth. I bet it would have been great in the ghost house. You know what I would have done if I was downstairs? Even though he's thinking that, and I wouldn't have heard it, if I'd have been the parent downstairs in the living room, mm. I would have got the broom handle. <laughs> I would have braided like hair on the ceiling. <laughs> Fucking go! <laughs> Fucking go! <laughs> we, get to, um, we get to midnight. A ghost appears in the corner of his room and he goes, Wake up, boy. Why didn't you go in the ghost house, you little shit? You know what I mean? I I, I hope when you shit the bed, it doesn't go through the floor downstairs so your parents see it. But it will, because fathers broke the ceiling with a broom handle. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
I will say at this point, already, before we get to graphic detail, I love the artwork in this. Oh, yeah. No, don't get me wrong. I'm I'm liking the atmosphere. I do like this yeah. business where even at that point when he's in the fairground, there's something, when you look at the expressions on his parents' faces and his, there's this gap between them. He can't quite gauge what's real even when he's fucking there and he's awake. Yeah, 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 yeah. One of the things that stood out to me particularly is when that hooded, let's call him the Dreamkeeper, when he turns up, how much yep. he looks like the Emperor's Darksiders in Star Wars Dark Empire that Cam Kennedy also drew. Because he's clearly ah. got a style when it comes to threatening Sentinel figures. PeggyManPod.com, have a look in the show notes. Um, I do like a bit of Cam Kennedy. He's, yeah, he's good. There you go. Again, very sketchy, but very evocative. I was expecting, when he stood there, that panel where he stood there with the staff, I was expecting a chorus from Joseph in the amazing technical Adrinko, but never mind. Um, <laughs> so this ghostly figure says to him, this says to the boy, Fear not, you shall come to no harm. Uh-huh. Lies. He's the father of all lies. Well, this is it. He says, you shall come to no harm. Then later he goes, what's in that door? And he goes, harm. Right. <laughs> he may as well. Uh-huh. Go no farther, for these are the doors of death. All yeah. oh, right, that's fine then. <laughs> it is like saying to somebody, yeah, go ahead, chew on that landmine, you'll only crack a tooth. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> so next thing you know, he doesn't go through the doors of death. No. Suddenly they're outside, outside the ghost house, and it's still in the dream. See two people arriving. Who's this? It's Cathy and Mark from the reading books. <laughs> the kid's like, it's mum and dad. And the Santa goes, yeah, they um, they thought they were too old to enter the house. They were wrong. And you're like, well, do they still want to go in or not? Because they're walking in there. Mm-hmm. Is this their dream? Or is this still the kid's dream? Are they sharing a dream? What's the mechanics of this? No, it's his dream. Right. Anyway, they go in the ghost house. Mm. Um, the Santa goes... Take this key, young man. There are more surprises here tonight. Then points him over to a bit fucking lock on the wall. It's not even on the wall. It's it's. It's just like got a post or something in it. Aha! Uh-huh. A lock. That's the surprise of the evening. Look at that lock over there on a stalactite. Oh. <laughs> so naturally, I mean, the kid goes. I can't seem to stop myself when he's putting the key in. You're like, well, it's the only thing you can do here, really, mate. You know, um, he does There's that. Fuck all else around him. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> The door's open. Bright, big bright light. What happened? Oh, they're dead. Yeah. <laughs> and the, and he, the kid's like, what the fuck? And the sentinel goes, those are the doors of death. You opened the doors of death. And he's like, no, 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 no. You told me to put the key in there. And he's like, yeah, but earlier I said about the doors of the death. That's when we were inside. Now we're outside. You did not draw the line between what we're doing here and the doors of death. They're just walking in the fucking ghost house. They've got to go through, like, ten different attractions and monsters before they get to the doors of death. Is this even the same house? Who's in charge here? Can I can I see the manager, please? He's like Dungeon Master with a grudge. Yeah. But but what I do like here is there's a twist in the twist in the tale, albeit to a more mature audience, predictable, but to a ten-year-old, no. Yeah. He, wake, he wakes up. Oh, my God, are Mum and Dad all right? Goes into their room... And there we are, two ghosts in the bead. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Oh, dear me, how? You wanted to go into the ghost house? Now you shall live in the ghost house forever, forever, forever. And you're like, you know, the second, it should be like, you wanted to go into the ghost house. 
The second ghost, I think, which is meant to be like the dad, she's gone, you should have just fucking gone. We said you could. We're dead because you can't fucking listen. Right. That's what that is. <laughs> it is? It is? <laughs> that is it. This dream is effectively about guilt. And then, and then he gets shook awake. Uh-huh. The the second twist in the tale. It was all, all a dream. Or was it? Well, no, because, yeah, the last frame is just him. Looking like a Vulcan. Is, yeah, sitting on bed like a little munchkin, and he goes... Perhaps ghost houses aren't such fun after all. I think there's another frame after that where his mother goes, you wouldn't fucking know. Yeah. You never fucking yeah. go in one. Every fucking week. Can I go in the fucking ghost house? Yes, you can. Oh, you don't let me go in the ghost house. Fact. She's like, we go through this literally every week and you shit the bed. <laughs> We're wrecking a broom. <laughs> He's put the ceiling in three times downstairs. Yes. yes. Hey, God. My vanity unit in the bedroom is now in the living room. Hey. <laughs> <laughs> I'll tell you what, though. Next week, spiders can't scream. There we go. I, I, that that is the flash I want. Next week, spiders can't scream. Not Mr. Kemp's computer death. <laughs> right? Would you mind telling me all about the terror of the cats? Cats, cats, cats. I've done that because I can't be bothered to put an edit in. So the terror of the cats, four-page story. Um, this is written by John Agee. Whom? That was a pseudonym for the writer Chris Lauder, who used to write in lion, action, and battle. So he's used to kind of war stories. What's the name of his brother? Tekken. Yes. <laughs> the art is by Jose Gonzalez, um, Spanish artist who did Vampirella, and he also did an adaptation of ITV's Avengers series. That would have been nice to read. There we go. Anyway, I digress. Urban environment. When six people in Barchester are separately attacked within an hour by cats, top surgeon Sir Ralph Spedding is among the first to link the events to a government research laboratory on the outskirts of town. So, this put the fear of God into me because I'm an animal lover, I love dogs, I love cats, etc, 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 but I am aware of the unpredictability of cats and their mood. This, oh, yeah, triggered me, this. See, this is one of the stories that I didn't give a shit about when I was ten, but reading it now, it's superb. Mm-hmm. This is basically Quincy, but a lot of cats with rabies. Quincy meets the cat from outer space. Yeah. On ketamine. They are furious. They're absolutely foreman. The Every single one of them. It's amazing. The character work yes. in there, I'm loving it. Yep. Uh, I'd love to know who this guy's models were, but I'm pretty sure, yeah, they're just from like a, a 1970s... American hospital drama. Hospital drama's nailed on completely, especially when you look at Alan Woodward from the Barchester Evening Echo. He isn't messing about him with his hands on his hips and his pressed slacks. He (laughs) is a man that is ready for action. In fact, I'll tell you now, I want to be him. He's great. I like the bit where he attacks six cats with a shovel. With a shovel? And they're all going... Have you ever wondered how you spell cat outrage? PeggyMamble.com, click on the link, have a read. They've nailed that. It's amazing. Wow! That works. (laughs) And he's got a leg in the air. He's belting a cat with a shovel and kicking one at the same time. Yes, yes. Now, now listener, if you, you know, don't get concerned over this. We're not condoning animal violence in any way, shape or form whatsoever. This is a life or death situation. The man's been attacked by vicious cats who are going to kill him. 
You stupid, crazy moggies, go on, beat it! Wallop. The artwork, as you say, it is absolutely splendid. Those cats look terrifying. (laughs) And I'm going to use the word, I'm going to use the word, I was mortified (laughs) reading this. Oh, good God. Yeah, this is great fun. I wish this had been more pages in this issue. Get rid of that shit with Fiends and Neighbours and let's have six pages of The Terror of the Cats. I enjoyed Fiends and Neighbours. Get rid of the mask in the circus one. Get rid of that. You can buy Core Comic and read it in there to reprint. I don't want to on reading this. <laughs> anyway, yeah. So cats are going acker because of the possibly the weather. We don't know why, but they're going acker And they're slee. They're being very sly and they're... Yeah, they're just out to get people. But, okay. Read it yourself, listener. It's cracking. PDF. PeggyMountPod.com. It's time for an editorial as we flip the page. Yeah, we're closing out now. Um, Issue two, free spider. I'm there. Issue two of Eagle, you get a badge. A a (laughs) delightful, gold, beautiful badge. Issue two of Scream, a spider. And you're just like it's going to be shit, oh. isn't it? It's you know, I mean, the fangs were like, the fangs were cool. They were they were fine, but they were cheap. Um, yeah, there's no money going into the gifts here. Uh. There's not, but at the same time, I mean, you wear the eagle badge and you're going to school the next day, and you're wearing that. Uh, look at you. You think you're Dan Dare? God, wouldn't dare wear that. However, you're going to school with the spider. Uh, oh no, there's a spider. I'm scared, but they can't scream. See, it has a, it has a better effect. <laughs> it doesn't even look like a spider. It just looks like an irate beetle with a couple of extra legs glued on. I have to admit, yeah, that looks awkward <laughs> like any sort of spider I've ever known. Yeah, I'm no David Attenborough, but that's not a spider mine. But yeah, as well as that, uh, we are teased with the fact that we're going to get our eerie six-part poster. This is it. They let you know that the back page of the comic, um, printed in colour, so traditionally that's the one where the strip continues in the centre pages, but they're not doing that here. Yeah. The first six issues will piece together to make a six-part poster. And it yeah. says, it says for best result, mount them on some stiff cardboard and then display your complete poster on your bedroom wall. You don't just put up six sheets of paper like a no, like like a like as if you're a smash hits reader or something. No, no, no. Put them onto some card. It's all well and good. IPC getting round oversized printing by having readers just stick shit together themselves. They're also relying on you being able to source a zero size card. You know, you know what, mate. Not everyone is three doors down from the stationers. Come on. I'll tell you what, that's an awful lot of buggering about to cover up your mother's wood chip wall hanging. It is, it it is. I am liking how this poster's starting on the back page. It it almost makes a poster on its own. It does, actually, yes. Ghastly there, bless him. Go to peggymountpod.com, look in the show notes. We've saved you the bother. We've pieced all six pages together for you. Nice. Don't say we never do anything for you. Also on that page, can I just point out, stamps. Yeah, yeah, you know what? Fair fucking play. Not a lot of adverts in this. I'm like, I am like it. When you pay for Scream, you get Scream. Yeah, and but I'm like, all oh, for the stamps. We, we, need, to do, the stamps. we need to do a bit of adverts. Who have we got advertising in kids' comics? What are, what, what are kids? It's 1984. What, what, what are 11-year-old horror fans like? Stamps. Yes, yes. Obviously not. But I, I'll tell you now, I still, to this day, have my I'm a stamp bug... Right. Badge. And it's attached <laughs> to my chenille polo neck. And it's still there. I still have it. 
Um, Royal Mail brought that out. At that age, I did have a stamp album. It was one yeah, of these yeah. ones you get for Christmas. It comes with a whole bunch of free stamps that mean fuck all. They're just shit, but you stick them in there. That's fine. Um, you put about five, maybe maybe a couple of the, the Christmas stamps, if you get them off the Christmas cards at the time. You, you'll put them in. You'll put in a first-class one, a second-class one, then that's it. You'll never touch it again. Unless the Royal Mail bring out, you know, themed... Because I have bought the Star Wars stamps. No, I bought no the doc- they've all got their own little presentation models. You don't put them in your stamp album. Oh, I do. Well, I don't, actually. But with my Doctor Who ones, I framed them and I put them on the wall. There we go. So that's not in your stamp album either. With, especially with the Agatha Christie ones. Right. Um, they brought out a Joan Hickson one of her licking a mini milk. And that's up. <laughs> that's up. There were manufacturers of stamp albums fuming every time some nice stamps come out because they're like... They're not going to put them in one of our books, though, are they? They're going to they're yeah, use their yeah. own special display firm. Yep. To go back to it again, there's a copyright block in the bottom left-hand corner of the uh, penultimate page. And again, it says in here that this is published every Monday. Now, I've gone forward to issue two, and the next issue is covered at 31st of March, 1984, which, again, is a Saturday. What's going on here? What is this fucking weird publishing obsession where what they call the June edition of a magazine goes on sale at the start of May. Have printers got time machines? This is all they're using them for. This is fucking insane. This is this is union attached, this. Oh. this. So, that's that for Scream. What I'm going to ask you is, Curveball Blackout, Curveball, mm-hmm. there was a publication that was brought out a few years before Scream called Misty. There was. Mrs Blackout was a huge fan of Misty. There you go. Have you read them? I've read a few of them. Not many. Certainly not enough to As be a, an expert. Aside, Blackout hasn't read enough issues off screen to be an expert on that either. But here we all are. One hour into him casting judgment on it anyway. Marvellous. I do know from speaking to Mrs Blackout, it's like, where is... This is the thing, Misty sort of proclaimed itself being, in quotes, for girls. And pretty much all of its stories seem to centre around young girl protagonists, which is fine. Yes, yes, yes. Now, what I will say is, Scream does have boy protagonists, mm-hmm. but it also gives its readership things like the Dracula file and the Terror of the Cats, where you have adult characters driving the story. Yes, 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 you do very much so. I was. This is what I was kind of working towards. To me, Misty is Scream for girls, or rather, Scream is Misty for boys. I think I think the second one, when you bear in mind that Misty ran from 1978 to 1980 and there were 101 issues of it, and as I've noted, Scream ran from 1984 to 1984 and there were 15 issues. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> I think it's, uh, in terms of, like, who's trying to be what for whom, Scream is definitely Misty for boys. You know, there's, Scream is the competitor yeah, yeah, yeah. here, let's be honest. Abso- oh, Absolutely. By the same company. Yeah. It's the same magazine, which I have no problem with. Yeah, yeah. There's a little more emphasis on reader interaction in Missy. Mm-hmm. It's not too intrusive yeah. to what's going on. Um, yeah, it's just a little gender gender change in its focus. Um, but it's equally as engaging. There are some comparisons I'd make, and that is we've got the Sentinels in Misty. Yes. Does that ring any bells? Yes. Yeah, that was one of their... Um, again, that was like one of their most successful ongoing stories. 
Sentinels with basically about two tower blocks where you've got like one that's affluent and the other one was basically a haunted derelict. You don't find out why this is at first. When you take into account the Sentinels and the 13th floor and J.G. Ballard's hallucinogenic 1975 novel High Rise, were people in the second half of the 20th century just terrified of flats? We're in the 21st century now. I'm terrified of flats. <laughs> oh, right, OK. <laughs> I do think the depth of stories, the actual emotional depth in Misty, was, to be fair, far better. Yes. There certainly seemed to be more at stake for the characters other than just shitting themselves and waking their parents up. For we did, in recent years, get a reboot of both Misty and Scream. Together, finally. I know. Basically, nice. because Rebellion bought the rights to both. It's the same company that does 2000 AD. It's all basically the old IPC content. You know, they've got it all. Um, And yeah, they did one-off specials in 2017, 2018, 2020, which were basically Scream and Misty, and then a 2021 sort of standalone special of um, Black Beth with a couple of strips of her in there. She didn't even appear in Scream until like the 14th issue. So yeah, kind of a mess, but there we go. Yeah, uh, not impressed with the colour. Do you know what? As I said earlier, there's just something about the black and white strips. I I think it's it's akin to saying, "Ah, oh, horror films are better like the old ones in black and white." I it, I think I'm thinking like that. Right. Um, there was just a little. It added something having in just two tone. The original artwork is definitely very atmospheric. I don't mind that they brought the color into the new ones because they've adopted new art styles as well. So well, that they don't feel like relics. To be fair, yes. And some of the stories, I loved the style of artwork. Yeah. A listener will know um, that I prefer rudimentary forms of illustration and animation and that type of thing. I don't like too much detail as such right? Uh, in certain things. And there were certain strips in Misty and uh, Scream Reboot that were rudimentary in their style. I love those. Well, keep in mind, if you go back and read Misty, it was only six years before Scream. Um, the artwork feels very much like girls' comics telling spooky stories. Fast forward to Scream, it's very much horror comic artwork. Again, they're far yes. more dynamic. They're far more like upfront stories and that as well. But when they brought back Eagle in the 1980s, the only 50s throwback thing in there was Dande. The rest was sort of current styling, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. You've got the photo stories, the contemporary artwork. When your dad would pick up Eagle in 1982, all he's getting out of it is Dan Dare. Then he's like, what the fuck is Doom Lord? <laughs> you know, he's not understanding Absolutely. the rest of it. So, similarly, I do think if you want a modern audience, you have to present along the lines of what they're expecting now. You do. You so, do, when you, you pick do. up the new screen, I personally wouldn't mind it if it was all black and white line art. Mm. But. That would just feel like they've been produced for 50-year-olds. So, you know, I get it. I get it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Let's just turn over the back page and we're finished. We are. We are. And with that in mind, Mr Blackout, how many pegs will you throw at a viciously deranged cat covered in its own shit that's gone acker by the bins? (laughs) Well, um... 1984 Scream has aged as well or as badly as horror fiction in general, depending on your preference. I think this is an incredibly strong debut, considering the comic had no real competition to try and beat at that time. Personally, I would like to see the filler content 
hitting the layout room floor, and I would have preferred more one-shot standalone stories rather than everything being next issue, next issue, next issue. But Scream Issue 1 is immense fun. Eight out of nine from me. There you go. How about yourself? This is perfectly pitched, and there's more concentration on the artwork and the stories than anything else. Bugger the adverts, bugger the rest of it. Let's get into storytelling. That's what this is all about, which is lovely. Mm -hmm. There's the odd editorial page, but the focus here is on one thing, ghost stories. For any 8- to 12-year-old, this is pocket money paradise, if you love a bit of the old supernatural. Eight out of nine. Fair. After all that's been said, then, Blackout... How many steps will it take you to get into the elevator to possibly find the 13th floor to yodel up the mountain? Well... The editorial and intro page of the Screen comic has a picture of Sir Bruce Forsyth. It's a cartoon, but it still counts because he's specifically named hero of light entertainment who trod the boards on the dark night of 100 stars with Peggy Mount. Quinton Darcy, you have the scruples of a delinquent dung beetle. Very good. Very good indeed. Enjoyed that. Would you join me, traveller? Oh, I shall. Yes, the inside cover of the Scream comic also features a vamped-up photograph of George Cole, who swung up in 1965's One-Way Pendulum with... And if I don't get my money within the next 24 hours, I shall... Glorious! Glorious! Absolutely, absolutely. Very good indeed. Right, that's that. I'm just off to Vernon's millinery boutique to see if he can help me look like him with the hat from Dracula AD 72 and then strut arrogantly through the parish like I own the gaff. (laughs) In the meantime, Blackout's got your socials. The brandy's kicking in here. Yes, thank you once again for being with us. If you'd like to get in touch, you can email PeggyMountPod at gmail.com or we are PeggyMountPod on Twitter, Facebook and on the Instagram. Five-star ratings are always welcome on Spotify, iTunes, wherever you listen to us. Don't forget to go to PeggyManPod.com to check out the show notes for this and all of our other episodes. Maybe even browse our online boutique. It's as simple as that. It really, really is. As mentioned, this is the last episode in this current mini-series. But fear not, listener. We'll be back very soon, indeed, with a brand new series of the Peggy Mount Calamity Hour. Take care until then. And remember... Keep Mountain! The Peggy Mount Calamity Hour is a free podcast from iCall Media which holds production copyright. Opinions and recollections expressed are not to be taken as fact. The title and credit music is by Dr. Velvet. Audio segments and television programs are presented for review and informational purposes only under fair use, and no ownership of these is claimed or implied by this show. For more information, visit PeggyMountPod.com. Peggy Mount Pod.com.